What's up, everybody? Um, happy Sunday. Hope it's all going well for you as you get ready for the week to start up again. Um, this is Matt DeMarinas from White and Blue Review, sitting next to Johnny Atala from the Omaha World Herald. After uh, Villanova's 90-78 win over Creighton at the CHI Health Center um, on Sunday morning, right? Is that Sunday afternoon? Yeah, it's Sunday afternoon. One that when it ends, right? Yeah, yeah it's not when it tips. Yeah. Sunday afternoon win over Creighton to, what, 4-0 in the Big East now for Villanova? Yeah. Just trucking along. Um, this whole rebuilding year thing for them really is uh, kind of like a lot of other years. <laughs> um, but Creighton drops their third straight game, so now they're 1-3 in the league. Uh, with a road trip to St. John's coming up. Um, kind of a tale of two halves. Creighton played really well offensively in the first, not as well offensively in the second, and Villanova went off in the second half. Um, scored 52 points to kind of you know, put Creighton at arm's length and kept him there, really. Honestly, they did a really good job of closing the game as opposed to last year's team that ended up winning the national championship. Did not. Um... But I guess, John, what are your some of your main takeaways from what transpired today? It's just interesting because this team, you know, normally if you give up 90 points to Villanova, the way that this Villanova team is constructed, I think you're, you would probably point your finger at the defense and wonder how, yet again, did you allow a team to shoot 53.4% uh, or, or above 50% from the, from the field mm-hmm. and... and just what's going on there and, and there are a lot of concerns defensively and I feel like we've talked a lot about them over the course of the season and maybe it, maybe it's a sign that Creighton does need this to change some things up and, and to again re-emphasize if it can emphasize it even more that side of the ball because we thought we saw some progress from the Jays um, right before conference play in that first game against Providence too but I don't know, man. I just I feel like there's there's only so high this team can go defensively in terms of like it's only capable of so much, and I feel like it's offense. You know, like a lot of teams are constructed where they can set the tone with the def- with their defense. Like they need their defense to sort of um, that their defense sparks them. And you hear pl- Creighton players say that at times that our defense can spark our are offense. Are you cold right now? I'm very cold. Yeah, I have gloves on. It's <laughs> gloves and a jacket. It's freezing. Do you, you, you have a beanie you need to put on maybe to complete the attire? I might. Okay. It's in my bag. Okay. But Sorry. So Creighton, there are teams that, a lot of teams that spark their offense with their defense. So I really feel like Creighton, at least the way this team is built, it gains momentum from its offense. No its question. ability to score. And when you have two four-minute droughts over the course of the first 11 minutes of the second half, um, to me, that's where I I think that's where the game was def- – I mean, it certainly is where the game was so, defined. So and you're, that, I guess you're, I just, you're hanging your hat on the fact that I think Creighton has a ceiling defensively that they can only expect so much out of that side of the floor to where – it's the offense they're actually more responsible for, is what you're saying. I think so. This okay. group. Okay. This group. And, and that's an interesting of, way to put it. I don't think I've heard it put that way yet before. It's inter- that's, but it's an interesting point. Just just the more that I watch this team, I'm like, you know, um, it just seems like when they get – sometimes you'll see them get stops defensively, but it doesn't necessarily – I mean, sure, if they get a stop and, and uh, it leads to a run out – open three, you know, you can see it translate that way. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't always 
trigger sort of this momentous response offensively, one stop or two consecutive stops. But if you see them score like four in a row, I think a lot of times if, you, if they get points f- on four positions in a row, you can s- just that. Their energy level the, picks and, up. Yeah, and it carries like for the next four minutes. Yeah. Like they still have it. But if they don't, um, and, and conversely, defensively, if they give up four buckets in a row, but they're also scoring, they still maintain it. But if they give up four buckets in a row and they don't, they can't score. You know, like that the drop off is is um, is noticeable to me. So I just I just think that against the better teams on their schedule, they really do have to score, and I think they're gonna they're they're gonna gain a lot of uh, confidence through their offense. So how do you avoid? You know what what happened today mm. going forward. I think is for me the the biggest question. Okay. And um, so I looked at I, I looked at the start of the second half after the Jays went up nine. Uh, they went without a bucket for four minutes, and and a couple long rebounds led to some easier buckets, made it tough for Creighton to defend. Um, and then there was a once Creighton retook the lead, then there was another four minute drought which I think featured four turnovers. Three of them were live ball turnovers, and they led to run-out buckets for Villanova. Mm-hmm. Um, I just it, I just feel like, obviously, it makes so much more sense for a team uh, to be feeling good when the shots are going down, but I just think this team is, um, the way it's constructed, there's so many guys that were brought here to score, and when they are not doing that, it has a pretty devastating effect mm-hmm. on this group. And maybe that's something they need to get over, and maybe they can get over it, uh, as their careers unfold, but I don't know about over the next two months. Yeah, I just think that's. In the short term. I feel like that's just yeah. part of who they are, and so how can you avoid those those stretches? I think is important for this group. Well, so I think that's an interesting point. So let's. Do you agree well, with that? By the way, I, at that point, you know what? I never really thought about it enough. Okay. Honestly, but I think there's something there. So let's play off that a little bit because if we just assume that the defense is going to have issues stopping people at a high rate, despite their best effort. Like, let's just assume with the four-guard lineup on the floor, you're going to give up something. I think that's part of it, too. So, but without Damian Jefferson in the lineup, and suddenly you're asking Mitch Ballack to play the four, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you're, you're, you, Creighton was already with four guards, already undersized with Damian in, and then you take his length and athleticism out and put in Marcus Zagorowski. Right. You know, I think that also plays into sort of my theory about today and, and who Creighton is. Okay. But anyway, so, go on. So Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. No, you're fine. So let's talk about the offense then, the issues, uh, or the the first half versus the second half. Yeah. Um, you know, Creighton was up, I think, 21-20 at half on points in the paint, and I thought Martin Krampel and Christian Bishop, both in, in, in his short stint in the first half, were incredibly effective inside. And Villanova, I thought... My thought was when it was happening was it was the first time I thought Villanova was actually getting punked in the paint. I don't think it's easy to do that to that team. I think they had just have some toughness embedded in their DNA of who they are that no matter what kind of matchup you've got down there, they're going to fight it tooth and nail and figure out a way to win it. Like, you know, I think of the battles with Xavier. I think of the battle the way they've handled Xavier, um, the battles with, you know, uh, Angel Delgado of Seton Hall, like all those teams that kind of have, you know, a guy that can a bruiser that can beat them up. They've ha- they've handled those teams just fine. You know what I mean. But I thought they were having a real problem doing it with Creighton today. Martin was getting, you know, dunking on guys, getting position, backing guys down, 
Uh, Christian Bishop was really effective, and I, I, I just thought Creighton didn't make enough of an effort to go back to that well early in the second half. Because um, I think they started two for eight from the field, but one of the seven of those shots were threes, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is that what it was? I think they were. I think they started one of seven from the field from three. Oh, they started two of eight, and I think they were one of seven from three in the, to start the second half. And that's when Villanova went. Might have been. First might have been two and nine. Because I, I have okay. in my notes right here that Tyshawn missed a jumper, and Zagorowski missed a layup. So those okay. are two. But I. So you're. So, so, but, but the two. Interior shots were. That's what those were. They yeah. weren't. They weren't. They, touches, weren't, they weren't touches for Martin at all. Right. So that's that was my thing. Was I felt like that was something you needed to reestablish because I thought, I thought Creighton had maybe dominant is too strong of a word, but I thought they had really caused Villanova a lot of problems with that matchup, and they no didn't doubt. go back to it right away. The, well, they were seven of nine. Bishop and and Crumple were seven of nine from the floor. They had four dunks yes. in the first half on people. Not yeah. like I mean, Christians was through the one three one, but Martin was like. Backing guys under the rim and dunking on them. I know. Like, it's just like, such, just, that such was, a statement. That was like a punk move. Yeah. Like, you know, and, like, and, and, you're not going to stop me. Right. Yeah. Um, and they didn't have any of that in the second half. To me, that was the biggest key to why their offense didn't flow as much. I think yeah. players Because they, they shoot threes, they hit threes, but threes are also like, you know, you're going to miss those two. Well, what's funny so like is. The fact that their, their offense was so predicated on, like, we got an open rhythm three, let's take that right here. Like, fine. But I go back to a quote Mac once said about the 2013-2014 team when they had Doug McDermott. Now, obviously, they don't have Doug McDermott, but you've got an effective low-post scorer here. You know, someone who's already, you know, in within the game, you've got effective low-post offense, um, effective interior offense. So it would be, I think the quote was something, and I'm going to butcher it here, but, you know, we've got we've got a stretch here of, like, four possessions or something where we don't have a bucket. Uh, we're getting good shots, but we can get better work here. Let's give it to our go-to guy and let him go to work and get us a, a run-stopping bucket. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Something to, like, stem the tide, to get us on the board, to get the mojo back. It just felt like Creighton was was just going to be like, look, this is what we do. We move the ball. We shoot. We're going to shoot our way out of this slump right here. A, f- a shot's going to fall, and it's going to click. just never did. Like, it just never... Well, over. It it did, but it didn't in spurts. It never yeah. it, like their runs were too short. Villanova's were prolonged. Like yeah, because I think Villanova just had more. They could get higher percentage looks yes. easier, and so that's why their runs. <clears throat> but I felt like I felt like the Creighton's offense kind of bogged down when they stopped going inside. And it's funny because they had a. I think they lost the. They lost the edge and points in the paint right away to start the second half, and Villanova put that thirteen zero run together. Creighton got the lead back by go with with two straight buckets in, at the rim. Yeah. So like I thought at the rim was where they were gonna like really have an advantage today because that's how it was playing out. They just didn't go there enough in my opinion, and they missed some there. That sometimes they went there and just missed some easy uncontested layups for mm-hmm. just left them short. Thought maybe there was a shot blocker coming or you know missed time the distance whatever it was. They just missed some easy shots in the, in the, in the in the paint. Um, but I felt like that was where. They really could explode, explo- exploit Villanova's defense today because, despite all the things they were doing, switching, you know, the coverages, switching the the zones and the man, um, I thought Creighton didn't have a problem getting inside and getting good looks inside. They just didn't go there enough. Yeah. So. Well, I think that didn't they finish with twenty nine points in the paint and had twenty one in the first half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like that to me. So is- it was twenty one twenty them points in the paint in the first half, and then so Villanova won the second half sixteen to eight, doubled them up. Yeah. In points in the paint. I mean. I- Creighton is gonna 
rely on that three-point shot for sure. And it still made 14 threes and shot 40% from the three. Is that right? Yeah. 40% from three. So 14 threes and they made 40% and they lost by 12. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. You've got to have some versatility to your offense mm-hmm. then. Because that's way too much pressure on your three-point shooting. You essentially, you essentially have to set a record every single night <laughs> yeah, with the, that. If, if, if that's not good enough to even stay within single digits of a team, yeah. you, what are we talking about here? Right. So. And, and one of the problems with three-point shooting is like it, comes, it does come in waves. Mm-hmm. And if you're playing a team like Villanova, which is really consistent offensively and is not going to be rattled, that, that was one thing that really set, about, set out about this Villanova team as all of Jay Wright's team. It didn't the surprise last couple. me. Like, yeah, Phil Booth it has won a national championship. Right, right? it doesn't. But it, but it really it stands out in a game like this because yeah. there was times when um, when Creighton, especially in the first half, when Creighton had an opportunity to kind of put its foot down and, and it kind of deliver some of those. It's, it's not a dagger because it's the first half, but really uh, some big-time plays. It's an effective counter. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, hey, but, we're still But here. Villanova didn't. They just – they stood their ground yeah. um, and had so many key buckets um, to which I think were a result of them just running their offense and not making mistakes whereas um, so that, like it just felt like they as long as they didn't go out operate outside themselves and force the issue which they rarely did maybe a couple possessions mm-hmm. here or there um, they were going to get a good look and so that put pressure on Creighton to also do the same thing and for that stretch in the second half, those two stretches where they didn't score, I mean they they missed a lot of threes, yeah. and and so that's that's the problem is sometimes you just aren't hitting even if you're open, and how do you how do you keep the pressure on your opponent if you're not scoring and not hitting your open shots? Mm-hmm. You got to find another way to, to score. I thought there was an opportunity there for Crumple and and Christian Bishop to attack inside, and they just kind of find them because he had ten. Martin had ten points, I think, in four. Either four or six rebounds in the first half. I can't remember. Um, and he ended up with fourteen, but his four were his four were all inside, and they were all in garbage time. Yes, yeah, so they didn't way. even get him any kind of looks inside for those, you know, those little curls where you can just catch and go up, you know, right. or, or finish it in any way. Like they didn't get him any post touches until midway through the first half was right. his first one. Um, and then his second touch of the in the scoring position was the three pointer in the in the corner. So they just didn't make an effort to get him the ball in I, that area. I thought that Villanova, in its zone, it's like switching between man and zone was effective because it kept Creighton off balance. And especially when you're talking about like a freshman point guard, Marcus Zegarowski was running the show. I think that that I feel like Creighton had to pause for a couple seconds at the start of their possession. Yeah. To, okay, what are we doing here? Mm-hmm. Okay, now we go. And so I think there was some. I, I do agree with Greg McDermott that there are opportunities for Creighton to get in the teeth of that zone, and they didn't do it. Uh, but part of that was Villanova's length and just their swarming nature. And I think once the pressure of the moment started weighing on Creighton in terms of, like, we got to score here because Villanova's starting to make a push, I think they felt that, and maybe uh, the, the Jays just became a little bit too perimeter-oriented against the zone. But against man-to-man, I also thought Villanova's big men did a really good job of just being active with their hands. Yeah. Uh, Samuels and and Bay, Sadiq Bay, those guys have some length. Even Pascal too, and they just uh, they seem to bother Creighton's ball handlers enough. And Tyshawn Alexander said afterward that it was like he was probably too loose with the basketball at times, and I'd probably agree with that as well. But mm-hmm. I do think that some of the credit goes to Villanova just for um, 
you know, it's ability, like those guys bothering Creighton's guards enough to either force a turnover or keep them from entering, getting that window so they can enter uh, a pass into inside and get get it to crumple, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and Jay Wright said too that he thought his guards did a good job of just fighting for position if they got switched on crumple in the second half too. But um, it's going to be really interesting to rewatch this game because of how many and how many chances there's funny in the first half as many chances as as crumple and bishop had inside but they combined for 17 points in the first half i thought they even had more like there were yes. more looks that that creighton could um think, yeah. that more chances they had to go, get the ball to those i know guys. it's like old school to and think so, playing inside is like a dead way to do it but like right. that was a major advantage yeah I felt like and and so I'm and like, i think it will be against st john's too so i'm oh, curious yeah, to see right. like how much they devote the game plan to going to that well like St. John's got punked last night by DePaul, and it's not like their roster's getting any better. They don't know. How, I mean, I don't think Mullen is confident in, enough to to know how to use it yet. Like, I think Creighton has an opportunity to really, really go inside a lot and have effective offense that yeah. way. Like, play inside, play a legitimate inside-out basketball right. game, and be effective. So we'll see how that matchup goes. So I think Creighton has a. I don't think they. You know, St. John's has a lot of length, but I think Creighton can counter it by. You know, going inside and scoring, and inside. and it just seems like Creighton, over the course of the season, it is has been so much more. Even the threes seem to fall more when you go inside out. Yeah. Um, you know, Martins. A lot of times he he kind of has that score first mentality if he gets the ball on the block, but I think just the threat of that, um, a lot of times, forces a defense to collapse and then it opens up some looks on the outside. Creighton's guards a lot of times have been really good at dribbling into the heart of a defense and coming to a two-foot jump stop and pivoting and then finding a, a teammate open um, outside the paint. And today, it, you know, obviously, I, I thought there were times when they did get in the paint. You brought up a couple missed layups, some looks that usually go down, maybe. Um, <laughs> they were bothered by Villanova's length inside. Um, but I also thought that, you know, that maybe they – didn't capitalize on those opportunities enough, just being making a play once I got in, into the heart of Villanova's defense. Okay. So, so let's talk about yeah. Creighton's defense now. And just we'll, we'll just zone in on it today because I'm sure we're going to get asked about it big picture when we get to you guys' questions. But um, just in terms of today, you know, allowing 90, uh, you know, Villanova shot nearly 60% in the second half. I think they were at 1.44 points per possession in the second half, right? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. So they're at one point four 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 points per possession in the second half, and they were at one point one one eight. So like, what the, what Creighton did, you know, defensively in the second half, or first half is fine. Like they can, you know, they can beat everybody in the league if they're allowing one point one points per possession. I think you know. <laughs> yeah. They don't have to be. They don't have to be special offensively to get over that hump. But, exactly. You know, when you're well, the one point four four point is a lot. Like that's a ton. You're not. I don't. At the same time. That they could beat anybody giving up one point one, they won't beat anyone giving up one point four. So, um, yeah. Well, well, I don't know if I noticed anything they did have, different. Like, just I, so I mean, you know, I just want to say this: uh, Villanova did have eleven points on its final five possessions in the final like two twenty of the game to ice it. Yeah. yeah. So, it, like, not. I mean, they're still on. Pay, they're at seventy nine points with two minutes left. Like, they're still gonna. It was still going to be a productive scoring day for Villanova, and the points per possession, especially in the second half, were still going to be up there, probably too high than Creighton mm-hmm. would like. But 11 points on the final one, two, three, four, five possessions 
Yeah. That doesn't help, obviously, with the with the efficiency numbers. No. They put the game away. Quite no, not, if, not if you're not if you're trying to be desperate at that point. Yeah. <laughs> they, yeah, they just they just they were really effective at the end of the game, mm-hmm. um, which helped boost but I mean, the numbers. Yeah, but, more, but, but like Phil Booth had an eight zero run, I think that gave Villanova the lead himself. Like, yeah. and then Creighton got the lead back, and then he hit two more threes uh, to kick off their next thirteen zero run. Correct. Yes, he did. Okay, His so, back to back threes sparked that run. Yeah. yeah. So he was huge. What what did you see maybe in the? Because they did mix coverages on him. They didn't always have the same defender, but they did, and they also didn't guard the ball screens the same way every single time he had yeah. it. But, um, and I think late some that he hit some against the one three one that they went too late. But you know, for the most part, I don't know. Well, fourteen of his nineteen after halftime were in the first yeah seven minutes exactly. or whatever. You know, like. So I mean, one he had three. What he was six for six at the free throw line. I think. Uh, he had a three-shot foul where he got Mitch Ballack on yep. his feet. Um, so that I think was, that, that was to one me was the, I think that was the biggest thing that stood out to me of their defense because I think just, just I think, undisciplined yeah, plays. Yeah, because I think Villanova had 13 points off turnovers. Okay. Um, yep. So that um, you take that into account. Obviously, you're you're not going to play perfect offensively and never turn it over. But yeah, 13 points turn- in the second half off turnovers. Yeah, in the, yeah, in the yeah, second yeah, half yeah, alone, yeah, okay. 13 points in the second half alone right. off turnovers. So. Some, you're going to make mistakes at, at some point, but also some of the mistakes that Creighton made, you know, just losing the ball on the perimeter and it's it's a two-on-one run out or, mm-hmm. an, or a one-on-none run out. And the out. other thing that I thought Mac mentioned that was a really good point too was like some of their long – or some of Creighton's long misses led to run outs yeah. too because Villanova just grabbed right. it and went. And that's what Villanova likes to do. They, they, they want to score off your mistakes and they also want to push it on your off your misses. They'll walk it up if you make it. Right. And that's kind of where they, they control tempo that way, but – Villanova. At any other time they get an open four situation, they will run it at you. So I thought Creighton gave Villanova too many of those okay. open four situations, and that hurts the defensive efficiency numbers. And the other thing was just the undisciplined plays, fouling a shooter, you know, going for those pump fakes. Mm-hmm. Um, they lost I think a Mart- I think both, couple I, back cuts. I think there were two chargers they tried to take inside the restricted area, so like they just ended up getting dunked on and falling yeah. over instead of you know either having your feet in the right spot or if you're inside the restricted area, you got to wall can, up you and got, contest. You, can like you, be can't take a, yeah. you can't take a charge there. So, yeah, um, there was some discipline well, issues. The second chance points were, uh, I think they did, in the first half they were okay, second half they weren't as good. Well, you know what's funny is that flipped earlier in the first half because Creighton, I think, when Creighton was up 20-14, to 14, they had an 8 nothing lead on second, second chance points and mm. they had four offensive boards. So they had converted all of their offensive rebound opportunities at that point. Um, and they kept Villanova off the last relative. I mean, only allowed ten second chance points and seven offensive rebounds. So that's not a that's not a disaster. But the way it flipped into easy points for Villanova when Creighton had already kind of scored what they were going to score in that area of the game. Yeah, that was it. Part just of seems it too. like the offensive rebounds Creighton's given up these last two games have been very untimely. Uh, yes, yes. Untimely is a great word. Uh, I they they. It's not like they just sort of exist in their own subtle world. They have a big impact on the game. They're, they're, the Marquette game. Yeah they're, yeah, they're part of the big runs that other teams are making, and so that, that stood out. But that's part of being disappointed, too. It's also part of Creighton just being undersized. Like at times, they're just going to give up offensive boards because they have four guards out there, and that's just what they're dealing with. Um, but you also, you also have to box out, and they might have missed some box outs. I don't know. I wasn't paying that close attention to it. 
but you know, giving up some back cuts when they gave up back cuts, mm-hmm. and that's something you can't do against Villanova. And they they drilled the heck out of that. Um, so yeah, I, but I don't know, man. I just I look at who they are right now defensively, and and I like I I would I think that I think there's a way to construct a a plan to where you're not giving up. 53.4% shooting like they did against Villanova today. Mm-hmm. You can drop that number down to maybe like 48 or 47 against a team like Villanova, but you're not going to go down to 40 against Villanova. Yes, yeah, so you're trying to figure out what they can actually live with defensively versus how much it actually constitutes as bad, right? Mm-hmm. For this particular team. Yeah, so you're going to, like, is that, are you great on the curve the rest of the season then? Do you feel like you understand the makeup of who they are defensively to the point where? You know what to expect out of a good performance, and you know what it looks like when they just were awful defensively. Yeah, do. I think so. Okay. How would you grade this one? Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Feels like that's the right spot. Yeah. I thought in the first half they were like, like, said, like those, you said, you, yeah. they were good enough in the first half, but in the second mm-hmm. half, again they had Villanova got rolling with some fast break opportunities, so that plays a factor into it, and and Creighton wore down a little bit because its starters played all played more than 30 minutes so that played into it mm-hmm. but they also just made some undisciplined mistakes which again allowed Villanova to kind of 16 to 28 from the floor in the second half 7 to 14 from 3 um, shot 15 free throws that's there's so many aspects in there that you know as a team that add up yeah you, that add up really fast especially yeah. against Villanova who's not going to commit fouls mm-hmm. to give you easy chances on, on your end, and they're not going to turn it over. Um, they're going to take quality shots, good shots. They're not going to get sped up. I mean, the mistakes are magnified in a matchup like this. and Yes. Um, um, they were costly. They were. Um, should we get to questions? I think we dissected that pretty well. Right? Yeah. Okay. I probably should have sized these up before. <laughs> 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 My bad. Hang tight. I've got him. I just, by the way, I thought it was kind of funny. The uh, you hear the fans sort of sarcastically cheer and Creighton got the ball in bounds. Yeah, on, underneath the basket. and Tyshawn, and yeah. they completed that. That's right. right. Yep. There was no defense on Tyshawn, but he caught the uh, <laughs> the ex- long ball inbounds they, pass. Yeah. I think it was like late in the first half when. They did that. <laughs> right. They executed that throw. Another subtle thing, too, that I don't think it really had a drastic impact on the game, but Creighton was really bad out of timeouts today. God, which man, is, were they. Which Oof. was rare. Usually this team's... Um, Not even to the point where like the play wasn't executed properly. Like They didn't even get a chance to execute it. Yeah, they, they didn't. Like a, right. It was just, some just a, silly a soft mistake. turnover before yeah. they could even run the action. Yeah, I, It was either two or three in the second half turnovers it was a, out, out of timeouts. There was a stretch of four. They had three turnovers in a four-possession stretch out of timeouts. Yeah, that was... I mean, I don't know. Yeah. And, because and kind of perplexing for this group. Because, right. like I said, they usually have been pretty good. I mean, their out-of-bounds plays have had tremendous, tremendous, a tremendously positive impact on games mm-hmm. this year. But, yeah, they were With not. With the exception of recent history. <laughs> right. Um. Yeah. <laughs> this week has not been great for right. that. Okay, so here's our questions. Um, first one's from Blaze Blue. Uh, who were all the recruits at today's game? So, um, Matthew Moore's was one. I don't know if uh, I noticed any others. Did you? Ty Berry. Okay. 2020 kid from Kansas, I think. Point guard? Guard? Big man, rebounder? Oh, no. 
No? No. No, okay. Oops. <laughs> yeah, 6-2 point guard from okay. Missouri. Kansas City. No, Newton, Kansas. Okay. Yeah. So those were the two then? Yep. Ty Berry and Matthew Morris. Yeah. And Matthew Morris is a stud, so he'll be visiting a lot of places. That's mm-hmm. great. Um, why no Damian Jefferson at all today? Um, from Katie Hyder. Injury. Um, hurt the ankle against Marquette. Tried to give it a go early in pr- practice two days ago. Um, couldn't get through the first drill. Reactivated it. Um, just spent, you know, was sidelined the two, three days. Three days? Was it three days in three games? Two. Two. Well, they had Thursday off. That's right. He didn't, he didn't practice Friday or Saturday. Yeah, so sidelined the two yeah. days of practice they had for Villanova. He was dressed today. He was stretching and, like you know, kind of loosening it up, but it never got yeah. to the point where he was, like, going through drills to warm up and shoot or anything like that. So yeah. he was a no-go, which is why you saw the starting lineup you did with Mitch at the four and Zagorowski getting his first start at the one. Um, <laughs> from Drew English, why are Big East refs such hard gar- hot garbage? <laughs> They've actually had a pretty poor they, I know, they, start to conference play. Yeah, the Big East refs have. So, yeah, if there's any like I guess solace in it is that there, it's fairness. Like they're, they've been they've been bad in every game, not just the ones that <laughs> for both teams, not just the one that yeah. Creighton has lost. I guess they've been bad throughout the whole league. There's been some questionable stuff going on. So with so many, I mean, I think according to Mullen, St. John's got homered last night somehow against DePaul. I don't know how you get homered against DePaul at all, but with so many close games, that's the thing about this league right now. Yeah. These teams are very uh, evenly matched from a talent standpoint. So there's going to be a lot of games that come down to the wire, and these officiating decisions are going to be magnified Absolutely. for sure. Yeah. And the Big East is like they have like to talk about how their officials over the last few years, you know, the majority of them get picked up for NCAA tournament games. Right. They've, they grade out really well, but certainly at the start of the start of league play so far, there have been some key decisions that have been at the very least costly. For- well, I was going to say at the very least debatable or questionable, oh, okay. certainly controversial. Right. Um, as the way, like all these, a lot of these games have come down the wire. Yeah. So like, I guess, uh, I mean, the end of Creighton Marquette is one. The end of St. John Seton Hall is another. Like those are two game flipping. Yeah, Seton Hall fans are complaining about a foul that wasn't called against uh, uh, which the Marquette they game. have a beef about because mm-hmm. he definitely was fouled. So yeah, yeah like you know, that's what just, happens there, you know, how that ends or not. That's just but, a yeah. few off the top of my head. So, it, but at I, least with Seton Hall, it's self correcting. So they took one against St. John's <laughs> they didn't deserve, and then they got one back that they no, they didn't get it back. They, against Marquette, they lost to Marquette. Yeah. They lost. Oh, oh, that's right. They yeah. beat so St. Like, John's. They beat yeah, they beat St. John's. John's. My yeah. bad, my bad. My so, bad. like, it was self-correcting there. So, like... <laughs> I guess yeah. that's the way it goes. So, you, maybe you just got to, like, hope Creighton... You just hope that you... Will get uh, there it even out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you lost when you shouldn't, you'll win when you shouldn't. Yeah, there you go. Um, let's see. Where are we at? Uh, Jay Kettleman wants to know, can we please get a recruit? Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, eventually. They'll get, eventually, they'll get... Right? I don't think they've ever gone without getting a recruit, right? You wouldn't be able to fill a roster that way, would you? Right. Yeah. No, they'll get one some at some point. We do believe Creighton will get a recruit someday. One day. They still got time, and the yeah. the signing period for the spring doesn't open until. I mean, with, April. A, with a really young team, you don't need to fill like twenty nineteen doesn't need to be a big class. So, like that's no. they're only losing two seniors, right? Right. And they don't. They're not big time players in terms of their roles, so. But you would like to. They probably have. You would like to add a couple pieces that you can, because this program has been built on development. 
Yeah. And and you know the idea is that you bring in guys that. I mean, Denzel Mahoney technically is a recruit too in twenty nineteen, so like True. he's currently in his development year. Yeah. So. And I keep hearing he's <laughs> people keep saying he, I hear he's the best player. Well, maybe. Um, He's had some pretty impressive days in practice. Yes, that's true. He's not like a Marcus Foster, like or a Maurice Watson, where it's like he's clearly the best player player on the the team. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like those guys were like, yeah, when when are they eligible? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean. So like, it it comes and goes. But yeah, he's very good though. I'm telling you, he he did have a day. I wasn't there that day. That's probably what hurts. If I was there for the 11 for 14 from three day, yeah, that might something like that. 11 for 14 or 12 for 15 or something ridiculous where he's hitting these. uh, Uh, between the leg pull up threes. Or he's in his bag, as they say. Uh huh. Yeah. Um, from Michael Golka, uh, what is wrong with the basket the Jays go to in the second half? Coaches, refs, and players were all looking at something. I don't know. I didn't I notice that. Did I did know? notice you it. Did? Oh, they were it, at one point. All three refs were standing underneath it, and everyone was like pointing at it and looking up. Really? And I don't know what happened. Then, then eventually, it was just like, yeah, we're good. I remember they were like studying it. Uh, at practice, like before the Marquette game, yeah, wondering that, if it was like a little bit softer, right? If the rim was reacting well enough. But I, I think they fi- they they tweaked it like three weeks ago or okay. a month ago or something uh, to adjust it. But I don't know. Yeah, they I'm, obviously decided that it's fine, so yeah, they kept playing. If I mean, I don't know if that's the reason Creighton lost in the second half. They shot, you know, they shot. What they, they, sh- well, they shoot from first half to second half? Yeah, well, from three, they were 7 of 17 in the first half, and then second half, they were 7 of 18. So, yeah, not much so, of a difference. Right. Right? Yeah. Um, that did, certainly, the rim didn't have any impact on the missing layup. No, because they wouldn't even get them to the rim, so, yeah. <laughs> um, from Katie Hyder, why can't McDermott coach against the zone defense after all these years still his ultimate kryptonite every year? Um, so, like, first of all, uh, that's not true. Um, Creighton's actually been pretty good against the zone historically. Uh, I think last year they were really good against it. Like That's top what five I said. Country, I thought they I were really good against the zone last year. Yeah, this year they're not as good, so I understand some gripes there, but... That's always a narrative that seems weird to me. I think it's like... Well, they weren't good against the zone during Doug's tenure, right? Right, yeah. So, like, Providence and Providence beat them in the Big East tournament final, and then Baylor um, just annihilated them. So I think that's like a nightmare scenario with a zone like that people just have PTSD about when they see it and they assume Creighton can't do anything to it. But since that 2013-2014 end of the season, Creighton's actually been really good against his own defense. I don't know. Since um, I thought I posted some numbers last year that proved that, but apparently not everybody saw them. I mean, when I, um, when I watch this team play over the last two years, I mean, I think... You're you're playing with fire if you play zone against this. Yeah, I don't think it's smart to do that at all. Um, but this year there is, there I will say this year that it hasn't been as good. Yeah. Um, and then today I don't know if this, if it was necessarily a zone that bothered Creighton. I think it was just mixing defenses that bothered Creighton. I think it, that, it, it like disrupted rhythm. Yeah. Because they didn't know what I they think were if, seeing. If Villanova would have sat in a zone for the entire half, right. um, you would have seen maybe some better offense, but. Even against man, Creighton didn't seem to find a rhythm either. So yeah. I think it was less about zone. I think it was more about how Villanova was doing what they were doing instead of what they were yeah. doing that affected Creighton more. Um, but I do. I will say that you know Greg McDermott said after the game that he thought his guys didn't do a good enough job getting the ball inside. Yeah. Um, Duh. But also, <laughs> you know, like inside at the free throw line, basically at the elbow. In, yeah, no, for sure. Um, 
but you could also make an argument too that you know as a coach you got to do a better job of instructing them and teaching them and, and putting them in a, in a Make it more of a better position, not, yeah, yeah, so that they're ready. Easy, yeah. They're ready for it. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure that they practice and prepare for the possibility that Villanova might go zone. But yeah. um, you know, when your team doesn't perform the way that you think they're capable of, some of that falls on you as a coach too. Sure. To try to get, you know, why weren't they able to make the adjustment faster? Um, you know, that's a question for McDermott and, and just something to track. But I do, I honestly, with a team that passes the ball as well as they do and shoots the ball as well as they do. Um, to me, I think you're playing with fire if you play zone against Creighton. I think that they um, they could really go get on a groove when they play against his zone. Mm-hmm. Um, this one's from Brian. Uh, why didn't Bishop play in the second half? Did he not play in the second half? I think he played two minutes. Yeah, he got a stretch in there. I don't know what he did, but um, so I guess why didn't he play as much? Maybe yeah. McDermott's better... McDermott's answer was if. Martin Crumple was feeling good and isn't in foul trouble, and, and like from a conditioning standpoint, he's feeling good. They're going to play him, and yeah. right now Bishop is strictly playing the five, and Martin's strictly playing the five, and so they're splitting time at the five mm-hmm. with Samson Froling, depending on the matchup, at the five as well. So his playing time is dependent on how Martin Crumple feels, or at least it was today. Yeah. Right. Or, or it was dependent on Martin Crumple not being in foul trouble and how he felt. So okay. since Martin was out of foul trouble and felt good, Bishop didn't play as much. That's that's, that's about accurate. That's yeah. the answer. Yeah. So I think now is that let's, is let's that have, the have, right way yeah, to let's approach? Have a, it? Let's have a subtopic on this yeah. one because that, uh, that's what happened. But is it the right approach to it? Yeah. Like, should they mix up their rotations a little bit? You know, instead of just like trying to hammer in the square peg, what you know, should they try maybe Martin and Christian or? Um, you know, Sam and Christian combinations like that on the floor where they go a little bit bigger. Um, because if if your problem with the four is you need someone who can stretch the floor, Martin can do that, correct? Like we just, I mean, what is he shooting from three now this year? I think it's reasonable it's, enough it's, to the point where not, it has to be respected. It's not great, but we know like, in, we know in practice he shoots better than what he's shot in. Yeah, so he's eight at twenty six, but I think. He's what three, five, six of what seven? You know, he's around forty percent in Biggie's play, or since the Co game, since Oklahoma, when he first started getting going again. So I think if you factor in like that's kind of the point where they assume Martin was quote unquote back well, from injury. He's actually like he's, shooting. Looks like he's fifty percent if you include Co and K, UMKC in the last, the last six four. games. Yeah, that's twelve. Six to twelve. Okay. Six to twelve. But he yeah, has so his he is, last four. Mm. So yeah, he's six of six of twelve since the co since the Oklahoma game ended, um, which is kind of like the point they circled. Like, yeah, Martinez back now; he's mm-hmm. physically good. So like, he's fifty percent three point shooter in that time. Well, it's, it's so just he's a guy that can stretch the floor. He's yeah. a guy you have to guard out there. When you so like, he can play the four because he's athletic enough. Right. Defensively, he can guard that position. Well, that's the thing. It's like if you ask a question about how can Creighton get. Christian Bishop more minutes, or why doesn't Bishop, Christian Bishop play more? Someone has to move. The answer is, yeah. well, who are you going to take off the floor right. to make him play, or to allow him to play? And at this point, the way Creighton has it set up is the only person that he's coming in for is Martin. So yes. does that mean, are you okay with Martin coming off the floor? But we could make the counter-argument, and I think that's what you're doing, of saying, well, what if he didn't have to come off the floor for Martin? Martin stayed on the floor, and you brought him in for one of your guards, which um, those guards are 
at least today, logged a lot of minutes without mm-hmm. Damian Jefferson in the lineup. Um, Connor Cashel played, what, four minutes off the bench, and yeah. Caleb played ten. So the other four <laughs> guards played a lot. Each of them played 30 minutes, and those are tough minutes against a, uh, a good Villanova team. So maybe, given Creighton's roster makeup right now, especially without Damian, maybe there's something to be said about moving Crumple to the four or, or, or Bishop to the four. We think Crumple to the four makes more sense just because he can, uh, he's better uh, proven, proven himself more as a shooter and he can stretch the floor uh, at that four spot better. So I, I do think it's something to explore, maybe something that we ask Greg McDermott about or just sort of monitor and practice as they... Yeah, it feels, like, it feels like the first question that I'm like itching to ask because it's... I mean, at, well, at some point, I guess, do you... Do you keep plugging along and just assume this is a difficult stretch? Which it is. We, we, we said before it started, Creighton can go 0-5 against this stretch. So they're kind of already ahead of the well, game they're, they're in some the, aspect. The but then, like, what is they're, Providence? They're like? They're ahead of the worst case scenario. Yeah, exactly. Guess, they're ahead of the worst still. case scenario. Right, right. <laughs> but, I mean, been, this stretch wasn't great. When you think about, like, you're playing Providence Butler on the road, or you think you have to go to the Dunk Hinkle, then you get Villanova Marquette, then you have to go to St. John's Georgetown. Like, that's a tough stretch, you know. Yeah. I, I would argue that no one in the league is going to handle that stretch very well, but then not everybody has that stretch. So, are you are you saying like, look, we're close? It's not panic time. Let's just keep plugging along. What we're doing is working. It's just not resulting. Or do you do you like reassess things? Not reinvent the wheel. Not change who you are. Don't. There's no philosophical changes that need to be made, but like in terms of rotations, yeah. in terms of your lineup, because the activity that Christian Bishop is providing right now has to be valuable, correct? Like, yeah, I know he's not when he's been in when he's been in the game. Now he didn't do much against, and I know Butler, I, I, right. And, and the one thing I do notice that that's probably a little subtle is like he's not very he's a thinker on offense, which means he doesn't always know when to come and set a ball screen. And that throws the timing of everything off. And, like, I understand that part of it. But, like, I still feel like there's enough activity there's enough activity being made to counteract some of the mistakes. And if you're going to be a team that um, is exploited to the degree that they are defensively, I feel like a guy like that is valuable with extended minutes. Just even in, even in the mistakes he's making can be tone-setting because they're all effort mistakes, right? Yeah. Like, you know, if he if he gives up a hard foul trying to block a shot, that's like at least he tried to block the shot. Like he's trying to be a rim presence or I just I don't know. Well I I me, think I think I think in short bursts so far in league play, he has shown to be a guy that's that his activity level can change a game from an energy standpoint and he can earn minutes that way. Yeah. Um I mean I just look at the box score and I see five starters play 30 minutes and I think about Creighton being a team that likes to run up and down the court and would prefer that their pace gets established and eventually they wear an in opponent down half, right. in the second yeah. half and these late. last two games in my opinion with Damian Jefferson he played like 10 minutes in the first half against Marquette and didn't play in the second half so it was mm-hmm. essentially five players playing most of the minutes in um, the Marquette game too in both of those games that you could make an argument that Creighton kind of wore down mm-hmm. at least when if you look at like Maybe some of the effort plays or the loose balls. Who got there? Um, Creighton. It, it, it's uh, it's the impact of its pace doesn't take the same effect when 
you're relying, yeah, yeah, when you're relying so heavily on on, on gonna, five guys. Yeah, if to you're play. gonna play like big minutes at that pace, you're gonna wear yourself. Right. So my thought is, is how well? Okay, what's the solution there? I mean, mm-hmm. and until Damian Jefferson gets healthy, maybe there's an option to to play Mar- Martin and, and Christian on the court at the same time, because otherwise, or otherwise, you have to give Chris, uh, Connor Cashall more minutes. Right. Um, to again ease the strain on some of the other guards who are playing so many minutes. So yeah, it's something. Well, that, it, the depth, that is something. That's something they seem to be getting away from, and, and I feel like yeah. it's something they shouldn't be getting away right. from. Right. Right. Yeah. That's sort of my thought too. Is if early in the year it appeared that Creighton would have an advantage with its depth, and yes, they've lost Jacob Epperson and Damian Jefferson's out right now, but I still think it has some depth mm-hmm. um, that it can rely on, and, and it and it hasn't. I don't know. Jay Wright said after the game he thought Creighton wore down, and Greg McDermott acknowledged after the game that you know if, if we're going to play at, this, at the pace that we want, he said that um, you know it's going to be hard to do that with the depth concerns they have. So yeah. something they're going to have. So something's to changing then. Either they're going to get healthy and they're going to play at the pace they want, or they're going to be shorthanded and they have to make an adjustment with their pace, right? So, something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, sorry, that was a long answer to. Uh, <laughs> right. wasn't. We had started talking about that before, and we were like, "Let's make sure we talk about this." So, uh, yeah, we were, sorry. I'm sure everybody wanted to hear about Christian Bishop anyway, so it's fine. Yeah, um, but yeah. So Christian didn't play much against Butler in the second half. In the second yeah. half, um, I think that was more of a matchup thing. I feel like Samson. Yeah. Samson seemed that matchup. Samson was really good. Yeah, he was Butler. good against Butler. Yeah. Um, Christian, obviously, we know he played really well against Villanova, and I think against Marquette. My assumption is it's just the strength of those Marquette big men, Theo yeah. John and Ed Morrow. I mean, their shoulders are – they're just stout dudes. And maybe that was what concerned uh, the Jays about playing Christian. Yeah. But well, plus, with Howard like he, involved in a lot of ball screens. <laughs> oh, that's, that's lot, true. Ball you know, how's those Hauser ball screens were important, yeah. so him being sound in that area was – There's was clearly key. a lot for Christian to learn defensively. I think the concepts – and the the rotations being in the right position is probably where he's trying to grow um, and needs to grow. Mm-hmm. But you're right. I think he plays with a lot of effort and energy. And sometimes it's with a freshman, you know, just you just got to have to live with yeah. those mistakes. And given Creighton's current roster situation and the fact that you would prefer, if you're the Jays, to not have to play your five starters 30 minutes, maybe mm-hmm. this means that you got to tweak some things to get more more bench minutes. I mean... They, I mean, something, you, something you would the match. You have eighty-five in regulation to Marquette and ninety in regular regulation to Villanova and eighty-four in regulation to Butler. Like, it's not gonna. You can't give up much more than that. You know what I mean? So like, he can't be that much worse. Uh, assuming you know all the mistakes he might make defensively, you can't give up any more than you're already giving yeah. up. If I would figure so, I I would. I would I would assume there's going to be more experimentation with his rotations, and I think he's going to earn more as it goes along. Because right. he's just making too many key momentum shifting plays. I mean, shoot, he had that. that he had seven builds. straight. He had seven straight points on offense. You talk today, about so. you talk about when you want to talk about the zone defense that Creighton supposedly struggles against. Uh, the one time they got into the teeth of it, Christian Bishop had a dunk. So yeah. like having a rim presence with at the back end of that. Zone defense, that's how Creighton picked it apart when Villanova used it last year. Just lobs that person. Yep. You, set those back, you set those back screens, and he's got anything he wants to do down there. The baseline is his. So, yeah, Christian Bishop is important. I, th- I think he's 
But let's not. I don't know if he's season changing important. I don't think he's yeah, like, that's changed. Like we can't. I don't think he changes who Creighton is in terms of what they accomplished like this year, big picture. But I think he can, turn, he could he could flip one game or two. Maybe, and I, but I, also, I, I think he can max help his teammates sort of maximize what they're good at. Yeah. By him, by giving him a little bit more run. Yeah, you may have to live with some mistakes, but you know you're going to get some energy and effort from him. But then also that allows someone else to just sit and, right. and recover so that when they come back in the game, they're they're operating closer to 100%. Plus the thing with, with living with mistakes is you've already got a young team, so just let them make all the mistakes they want. If, you're, if your plan is focused on improvement and big picture with this core, let them make – Mistakes, but you don't you know, want to like, do it to the point where you're sacrificing but, the whole season. That's not. I agree. Yeah. My, my, my you're point, trying to still win games. I understand. My point is, if you're giving up ninety and one hundred six and eighty four, you're already in a bad position to win games. Like it's already going to be a struggle. Yeah. So you're are you making it more? Is he is it going to be that much more of a struggle to win games? I guess if he's making two or three mistakes that aren't mistakes now, but are just resulting in missed shots or a guy scoring over the top of a hand, like. You know what I mean? Like, like here. Okay, here's an example. So let's say like Christian plays in the Marquette game and misreads it. My boring you already. <laughs> I was I was blowing. Oh, like, shut up. He's yawning. I was, I, like, yeah, no, yeah, I was yeah, actually yeah. blowing on my hand because my hands are cold. Gotcha. It's very um, cold. In this so screen. so I, let, let's 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 say let's say Christian misreads a Hauser screen. Let's Sam get loose and bang a three. Like, and it costs them the game. Okay. That's something you can put on film and teach. But Davion Mintz running at Marcus Howard and sticking a hand in his flesh and him banging threes anyway is not something you can teach. You were there in position. You just got scored on. So, like, they lost. They lose. If you give your best effort and you lose games anyway, don't you want to put a mistake on film and learn from that? And then, like, that, then when Christian Bishop is a sophomore and a junior and a senior, he knows what to do in that situation. And when this whole group is at that spot in their careers, they know what to do in that situation. You know what I mean? Like, instead of just living with them, the other team making a better play, why don't you just let them make a mistake, put it on film, learn from it? Like, yeah. that's how it Just give him more run so he can learn more about what needs to be done in certain situations. Right. If that's what you're worried about. I guess right. it's like, it's one of those things where if uh, there's there was, like, matchup problems for Creighton on the floor today against Villanova, so that's why Sam didn't play. But... Those were just kind of like we know what Sam's capable of, and we see what these guys are capable of on film. So we're not going to see, we're not going to let that play out. Right. That was a decision so that, that was made. Yeah. Yeah. So like, is that is that like a worthy gamble? I guess in your opinion, like, or do you feel like, well, this is how we think it might play out, but let's just see for sure. Right. Let's get Sam out there, and maybe well, he surprises. What I what I know won't work for Creighton is playing five starters, thirty plus thirty plus minutes. minutes yep. So. That's like I, I the long know. end around that topic. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, exactly. So I don't know how the Jays go about working their substitution patterns and their rotations to, to lower that um, minute percentage for their starters. Yes. But they got to figure out a way to do it. So, Agreed. Because um, long, long-term, long that's going to look bad. Guys right, are going to break down. They're not going to have energy left. Like, worst-case scenario, I mean, that might Creighton is a talented team, but yeah. they're not as talented as Villanova, and they're not as talented as Marquette. Um, that even their five starters are not a, their five starters are not as talented as those the, the five that they just played against Villanova to start and the right. five that Bill Marquette had. So um, you want to you can 
you can enhance their efficiency. It's a nice idea to have your five best players on the floor at all times, but it's not realistic. So. Yeah. Well, and especially against some of these teams that really don't have a lot of depth yeah. to draw from. I mean, Villanova. Yeah. That's um, what we remarked earlier in the game. Like, when was the last time you saw Villanova go to its like extend its bench more than Creighton has? Exactly. It feels like that was the first time that yeah. it's happened. Marquette doesn't have a big be- no. a big bench. I mean, uh, St. John's when they see them, they won't, they don't have a big <laughs> bench. You know, so it's it, I I I do understand that. The best players are playing more minutes, and that's a good thing in the long. And like conceptually, that's a good thing. But in the long run, I think, um, I mean, you're gonna have to you got to make it fourteen more games. Yeah. And for five starters to play thirty minutes, that's a lot to ask, mm-hmm. especially for a young group of players that hasn't done this before. So, um, that to me is the one of the bigger takeaways, and something that the coaching staff's going to have to look at. Yep. All right, next one is also from Brian. Um, how much do we blame these recent losses on defense versus just going against teams who are having good nights? Um, well, I don't know. We've kind of already worked around that topic a little bit. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Creighton's defense has not been good. Dude, they... Um, but there's also, there's also, like, there's... Here's... It's twofold. Like... Creighton's defense has given up, has made mistakes, and they've given up points. But Creighton's defense has also played pretty well to its capabilities, been in the right spots, um, followed scouting report, and still gotten scored on. So, like, it's twofold. Yeah. There's a lot of talented scorers in the Big East. There's a lot of matchup problems for Creighton dealing with some of those things. Um, so it's kind of, like, goes both ways. Some some of it's a little bit bad defense. Some of it's a little bit just tip your cap to the Great offensive player. So. But you can't run away when the you, like what what's great like 170th in defensive efficiency right now. Is it that good? Oh, I didn't think it was that good. Well, adjusted defensive efficiency I'll at check. least according to Ken Palm. Yeah. Um, you can't run away from that number. That that's probably the worst in the Big East, I'd imagine. Um, it is offset a little bit by Creighton's efficiency on offense, but um, they Cre- kind of Creighton does have the worst defense in conference play only so far. They, By a healthy margin. Yeah, they're kind of resembling Marquette of last year. So yeah. that's not ideal. They're currently <laughs> – I didn't think it was that good. They're currently 175th in defensive efficiency, not 107th. So 107th would be a ginormous – Oh, no, I said 170th. Oh, you did? I thought oh, I sorry. Said, I, that's I what I thought you. I said. Sorry, I thought I heard 107. Oh. I went, really? That's pretty – that's <laughs> no, not bad. No, I don't know what I said. I meant 170. <laughs> I, I thought that was like a lot yeah. better than the last time I checked. I was like, really? They made that much – wow, okay. The Marquette game wasn't as bad as I thought. Um, um, but these last three games have been obviously not great defensively. For different reasons, yeah. though. Like Butler just – The turnovers played Turnovers were against Butler. Marquette Marquette was Marcus Howard. Yeah. And Villanova was just super efficient today. Mm-hmm. Like, but but again, if you're being well, worked Villanova, at all, for, if you do it for different reasons in three straight games, that's that's, that's a larger problem yeah. of your defense because yeah. you can't stop but anything. I, but I do think from a large, like kind of a thirty thousand foot lens type of perspective, the defense has only so much room it can grow, and <laughs> right. this team is going to have to make shots and score. Just be more consistent offensively. You got to avoid those lulls, um, you know, to go. As long as they did without points for two different stretches in a game like this, that that was obviously costly. Yep. Sorry, I saw a tweet that made me laugh. Um, let's see here. From Brandon Leppert. Giving up 32 points in 18 minutes is just disgusting. That's not a question, but yeah, kind of, <laughs> I guess, right? Yeah. 
It's a good follow-up to the defense question, though. Right. I like how you guys are sequencing these. I like that. Yep. I don't know if that's intentional or not, but it's pretty good. Um, I need Rob Anderson for this research, but what's Greg's plus-minus in first half versus second half? Seems to be a recurring theme of CU game planning better, but other teams making better halftime adjustments. Um, well... Creighton's plus 73 in the first half and plus 51 in the second half, so I guess there's some difference there, but... Yeah. Do you feel like there's, like... Do you see a thread, I guess, in I in mean, terms of, like, adjustments that are made against Creighton that I are think, resulting in the second half? I, I think some of it goes back to depth. I think in some, some yeah. of these games, um, the Jays have relied a lot on their top... their front-line guys, and... and their bench hasn't been hasn't hasn't even get, gotten the opportunity as much, so that they can, at with ten minutes to go in the game, they're really think of the Gonzaga game. You know that game stood out to me as 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 maybe the first indicator of this, where um, Gonzaga definitely got tired, but so did Creighton. Yes. And but Gonzaga we knew was only going to play seven guys. Creighton had the opportunity, the potential maybe to go even ten deep in that game, and I think it may have. Um, by the end of it, I think they probably had ten guys play, but most of the minutes were uh, given to the starters. And so, then during that one stretch where um, it was kind of disjointed for both teams, but eventually, Creighton—I mean, Creighton went what five or six minutes and only produced six, three points or something—and Gonzaga eventually um, built a lead. I mean, to me, that was an opportunity for Creighton's pace and. Um, you know, it's sort of system, it's style of play to, you know, to really sort of take control of the game and, and have, have an impact. I just feel like um, in the second half of some of these games, Creighton's uh, it, its pace has not produced the results that you would think it had, think it would. And yeah. the results that it's produced in many games um, since it's kind of gone to the style. Um, so, I don't know. I, I I do. I think if you were to go at the box, go look at the box scores of um, of some of these games, especially against the bigger conference, major conference opponents, like you probably see the majority <coughs> of minutes go to the starters. Mm-hmm. And well, well, okay, the majority. You probably see a lot more minutes go to the starters than you would expect. I think. Right. And and I think that's just something for the coaching staff to look at because. Um, for Creighton to maximize the impact of its pace, I think it needs those guys to be more fresh. Yeah, that's but good, that's a good way to go. I don't think that answers the question. I think people were yeah, curious about is Creighton. Creighton. The question is: Is Creighton getting out coached in the second half? Yeah, in terms of an adjusted standpoint. But you don't feel like that's well. I mean, to an extent, you do, I guess, because of on reliance on the. Yeah, that's part of it. I think I, I think Villanova made some good adjustments in the second half, and. Um, Obviously, we talked about Creighton's inability to get the ball inside, yeah. and so that I think you. Yeah, I think, I think, I think in, Jay in Wright. Of, in terms of today, it's probably better to answer that on a rewatch because you can see the, you can actually see what kind of shot quality Creighton got against Nova's mixing defenses. Right. That was Nova's, Nova's adjustment was the mixed defenses, sometimes within the same possession. And they did a, they and actually did some of that in the first half too. But, yeah. Um, and then Creighton, so Creighton's problem was identifying that in time and then getting, what. Something I guess we would even consider Jay, a high percentage. That's what I'm saying. Jay Wright even said this with his team. It's like sometimes with this group, 
well, the game plan doesn't change at halftime. We just do it better. Right. Like, and, and I think that's Repetition. probably that was probably what was more effective in a game like today for the Wildcats anyway, is just the guys just settled into the flow of the game and started executing at a higher rate. Right. So I don't know. I mean, we could go game by game and try to determine who won the coaching battle, but I don't know if that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know enough. Like I think, I don't think I know enough about like the inner workings of every game plan to know whether one worked to a T or got blown completely to shreds. Like I don't know if I would ever. I have a tough time ever going to someone got out coached, unless I like see clear lack of. Sometimes it's pretty planning apparent. on the part of a yeah. coach. I guess like. Or, or, I feel like St. John's gets out coached on a regular well, basis. Well, if you like, if you can, if you see various moves, uh, tweaks, adjustments made that aren't countered, I mm-hmm. think that that points back to coaching. Sure. Um, but so I, I I know I think to an to an extent you can clearly make an argument that Jay Wright had a better coaching game than Greg McDermott today. Yeah. But um, I don't know if that is a trend that I've can have picked up on all, all over the course of the season that because like in the game they last played each other did Greg out coach right yes yes so like it go it's kind of like uh, you know like sometimes a player will have a player or your number you know like Marcus Howard will win an individual battle and then the next day he'll lose it like it goes it's the same way with a player battle it's the same way with a coach battle like it doesn't always it's not always a long term well Jay Wright out coach Mac today so he's a better coach forever. Like that takes a longer body of work to right. say yes or no. Well, I think Greg McDermott outcoached Chris Holtman um, over the last two years in their matchups. But mm-hmm. would you say Chris Holtman's or Greg's a better coach than Chris Holtman? I don't know. Right. So I, I wouldn't say that. Yeah. Um, like Bill Self Chris, outcoached Mike Krzyzewski last year in Omaha. Is Bill Self right. a better coach than Mike Krzyzewski? Yeah, it's hard to look at it one game, but yeah, I do. Exactly. I don't. I don't even know if I. I don't think that there's a trend there, that even this year, yeah. to say, well, Creighton's opponents have done a better job in the second half in terms of their, making their adjustments than Creighton has. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like one thing is for definitely, I don't think Creighton has been outcoached as a lot, <laughs> as often as a lot of people f- seem to imply in these um, Q and A sessions we have here. Like, I think <laughs> I understand. There's a lot of emotion behind it, I guess, in some instances, but. The, the frustration comes with he's the guy who makes the decisions at the end of the day, so he has to bear the brunt of the criticism. But in, ter- in terms of if you want us to analyze, like, the ins and outs of what happened today, um, I don't feel like – yeah, Jay, Jay Wright won today's battle, but I don't feel like Matt can't get him again. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, that's kind of where I'm at. Um, this is our final one, and it is about coaching, <laughs> unfortunately, because we just talked about it. Uh, from Katie Heider again. Uh, at what point is it no longer the players and it's coaching? McDermott is 0-4 against the teams that matter this year and has blown first-half leads multiple times. Um, well, I would first say that not all four of those losses are created equal. So, like, um, I don't think I don't think coaching was the reason Creighton lost today. I think Villanova just executed better. Would you disagree with that? Uh, maybe a little. Okay. To enough of an extent that it's not on the players, though, because that's the comparison. <laughs> yeah, that's the question. Like, who, yeah. I don't who know. Deserves I'm, the, I'm who deserves the who part deserves of the blame? blame? <laughs> I don't know. I'm very bad at assigning that. I know. But I do think, I don't know, I, we just talked about a little bit about. We did. 
I mean, I do think Jay Wright outcoached Rick McDermott today. Like, I don't feel like so, Matt got outcoached against Ohio State. I felt like Creighton just didn't no, execute down the stretch. I, that I was like a that. young team. I mean, game. you can make the argument that, I mean, Ohio State was up by 12 or 13 at one point in the second half early. Yeah. What was that halftime lead for Ohio State? 12? I believe it was 13. And Creighton, and, got and, and Creighton was up by, up by four with two minutes left, right? Yeah. And, and, and just. And, and, and the three they gave was like a, a bad stunt by Davion. Like, yeah. That wasn't a coaching thing. That was a poorly executed. And it somehow didn't score for the final three minutes. Right. Um, um, and and I, I think you can put the Marquette loss on coaching, certainly the end of it, I guess. And Mac did put it on himself. So I think for that play, yes. But on the whole, in terms of the how the game transpired, I'm going to say no. Not coaching? Yeah. At that play, for sure. So if you're just talking about the final result, yeah, then I think yes. So. I think that's what they're, they're saying, 0-4, oh so they want to know why Creighton is 0-4 oh, okay. in games that matter, is yeah. what they say. So right. I assume that's Ohio State, Gonzaga, Marquette, Villanova. Right. The four home games that matter. Um, yeah, I don't think it's all. I don't think all of the losses have been on Mac. So that's the way I'll say it. Yeah. Because some of them have been on the players. They've also played some good teams. So they those have. games that matter, um, they played. Those teams have been pretty good. So mm-hmm. they've gotten. They've drawn the best out of those. Uh, at least three of those teams. I feel like this that's as good as Villanova can play and mm-hmm. as good as Marquette can play. Jay Wright said this is the best he's played their team's played defensively all year in yeah. the second half, so Right. Um, it's hard to imagine Marcus Howard can play any better than <laughs> yeah. that. And so then it's about as good as Villanova yeah. as Zaga can Gonzaga. play with the makeup they had without Tilly in the lineup. Right, right. Ohio State could play better than Yeah, Ohio played. State was a game that I agree. Um but so <sighs> I guess you could maybe that's a question is why are these teams playing so well against Creighton? Maybe some of that's just basketball bouncing the way it does that maybe some of it's them knowing that they're going to get a really good shot against Creighton so they prepare well and maybe some of that's just Creighton's inability to knock these guys off rhythm basketball is so much about confidence you know if you're feeling good and flowing in a good flow you're going to play better in all aspects like if if you just have a good sort of demeanor about you your body language is in the right spot and, and your mind is you just you just feel good like Suddenly it becomes easier to dive after loose balls. Suddenly it becomes easier to focus on the little things. Suddenly it's easier to grab that offensive board or uh, to stick somebody in a box out. And a lot of these teams that Creighton's played in, quote-unquote, the games that matter, they, they haven't knocked their opponent off to the extent where they, would, they might get rattled. Um, Creighton hasn't used its, maybe its advantage that to the level that it could of being at home, you know, having the crowd behind it and, and yeah. kind of like That's, just putting the team away. You know, they, we Gonzaga talked, was probably one because that crowd seemed like pretty engaged. Yeah, I didn't think Gonzaga, today's was all that. It wasn't great, but they still had the opportunity to, to stretch the lead. Instead of being up by nine, its largest yeah. lead being up by nine, they could have been up by more. They didn't have to be up by just four at half mm. when they had control of the game. And no, I'm not blaming the fans for today's loss. And and Marquette here's and Marquette was the same way where they were up, um, well they were up the whole game and just but couldn't find that knockout blow. Um, maybe that's maybe part of that's just a young team trying to find a feel for the game. It's interesting just listening to some of these more veteran players talk about yep. how they navigate the ebbs and flows of a game. Phil Booth and Marcus Howard and mm-hmm. um, uh, Perkins, Zach Perkins. Is that Zach Perkins? Josh Perkins. Josh Perkins. Josh Perkins. Um, even 
Keyshawn Woods at Ohio State, like, though, you know, you, a lot of guys can't really explain it, like that feel that they have of, oh, this is a moment when I have to step up and make a play, but I know that my team needs me to do it, and they just do it, and they find a way to silence the crowd or, or keep the momentum from getting out of hand, and Creighton just hasn't had that guy yet who mm-hmm. has consistently been able to stop a run. You, you brought it up in the press conference, and you brought it up in this podcast too, but sometimes you just need that. I don't know if it's go-to guy, but you just have to have the guy who has the presence of he's mind. Like, he's like, I got to. He's like, this is, it's, I, I know what needs to be done now. Yeah. Like whether that's like a hero ball or I understand like you, it's a slippery slope when you say this player is that person, but every team's got one. Yeah, and so every team that's successful knows who they have to go to in a moment where they need it. Right, and so is that. I mean, maybe this team really needs Greg McDermott to sort of be that guy in terms of like. He needs to be the one who draws it up and schemes it up and gets somebody in position to score so they can end the ra- end the yeah, run and yeah. and, um, and and I think that's maybe the source of some of fans' frustration is just because you know they they can point out to moments in games uh, when Greg hasn't made the the best decisions and he has been out coached at times and so that shows up when you have a young team because they're making mistakes too and then your right. coach isn't performing at like you know at a peak highest level that he's capable of either so um i get that but i also sort of buy into the other side of the argument which is like players just make plays sometimes mm-hmm. and sometimes you can scheme it up perfectly and the opposing player either makes a great defensive play or makes a shot that is well defended that's just basketball and I do think that a lot of times especially here in this building Creighton has gone up against some teams that have just had its veterans really deliver um and actually even against Oklahoma and Nebraska on the road I thought um the veterans on those teams those teams are loaded with experience by the way and they their experience showed up in countless occasions of those games, and Creighton's inexperience also showed up. So um, it's interesting because I do, I still have pretty high expectations for this group. I think it has, when I look at the makeup Long of term, it. Long term, not short term. Oh, right? for sure. But yeah. I also think it's like a, it's NCAA tournament caliber, especially when you look at the rest of the country and where the field is. I mean, mm-hmm. there's Creighton, that should be the goal, and it has the potential to get there. Uh, but I also know that, that, that it is young and there are, flaws and some deficiencies that have really shown up against the best teams that, that it's played. Mm-hmm. And so, um, can it get to a point where you know it's able to sort of find it's going to click at the right time and, and, and win some of these games against teams that may be a little bit more talented or maybe a little bit more seasoned, uh, maybe a little bit more uh, conditioned to play in a, the big time moment, know what it takes to rise to raise the urgency and intensity level in Big East play, um, maybe they can get there. I, I mean, I think that they have the potential to, so we'll see how it goes. I think it's funny because I look at the Big East standings right now, Creighton's 1-3 and three and Providence is 0-3, and, and those are the two. Are they only 0-3? Yeah, Providence is 0-3. Unfortunately, 1-0-1 Yeah. And I'm like, those are the two <laughs> inexperienced, the least experienced teams in the league. And yeah, so that's right. 
should we be surprised by that? We see what, what their potential is, but we also know what this league is about. And uh, we also know what winning in college basketball is about, too. Winning, yeah, winning yeah. in college. Unless you have, I mean, you can be inexperienced yeah. and be Duke. But you have to have the, to you have you the top have end the, of the, the top, top end, end talent. talent. Right. And, and yeah. you know, certainly Creighton Providence don't have, they have good players, obviously, but, but not that. But more guys who are going to be better as upperclassmen than they are as underclassmen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but, you know, how much better can they get? And I think that's kind of the message that Greg McDermott's tried to sell with his guys is like, you know, obviously we didn't want to be one and three, but there are still 14 games left and there's a chance for us, especially as the schedule lightens, um, for us to really make a move. And, you mm-hmm. know, Marcus Zagorowski told us um, after the game, it's like, yeah, one and four, that's that stinks. That's not what we wanted. But we got – look at our next four games. You know, St. John's, Georgetown, Butler at home. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Seton Hall at home His or something. His mentality is like we have four home. opportunities to win. Why not be 4-0? Four four yeah. We're 1-3, and three, but what, what, who's to say we can't be 4-0 in, in the next four? Mm-hmm. And so... Um, it does feel like one of those seasons where it is going to be some, like, ebb and flow to it, it could. a little bit. Yeah. If, you keep your, if you keep the right mentality um, and you keep Yeah, that's it. the thing that we wonder about is, like, yeah. how many punches like this can you take before you're like, look... Not that good, right? You know what I mean? Like where you fold up and stop fighting a little bit. It will be interesting because I think I liked their initial response from the market. Um, how deflating that must have been, and I think their energy for the most part was like competitive enough to win this game. I just don't think they're at Villanova's level. You know the way. I don't think they're. There's too much. There's still too much experience on Villanova's team that's been. That's that knows what to do at the highest highest level. That no matter how bad today got, they've seen it before. Mm-hmm. Creighton is learning all this stuff for the first time. Yeah. So that's kind of what today boiled down to for me is like Phil Booth knew when it was time to time to go, and he did. Um, that's it for our questions. Uh, thanks for those, by the way. Um, St. John's up next. What do you think about that matchup as it stands? Um, I guess we can say Shamari Pond's status is up in the air and right. Damian Jefferson's for Creighton. So neither team right now is 100%. Yeah. Obviously, St. John's is a little bit more important than the Pond's thing. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if Shamari Pond's is the difference between losing to DePaul at home and not losing to DePaul at home, that's pretty big. So <laughs> um, I don't know. We kind of already talked about it a little bit. I think Creighton has a big matchup inside, a big advantage inside um, that they can exploit. Yeah. For I think one. one that's that's huge. One of the biggest questions will obviously be Creighton's ability. Can they take care of the ball? I mean, mm-hmm. in the second half today, seven turnovers doesn't sound like a lot, but they're all pretty impactful. They led to thirteen points. Um, was it seven or was it six? Seven in, in the second half. Se- seven. seven in the second half. Yeah. Um, but St. John's has so much length, and they're the best team in the in the conference in terms of forcing turnovers from their opponent. And they can so, do it in a variety of ways. They can do it in half court, just guarding you straight up, or they can mix defenses, or they can yeah. press you. So yeah, they 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 have a variety of things they can throw. And Pons is really good at that. So if he doesn't play, it maybe takes a little bit of sting away from their punch defensively. But mm-hmm. they still have length, and they're still going to bother you that way. Right. And they have a lot of tough shots, tough shot makers. That if they get that confidence rolling, which Creighton has allowed the last three opponents to do, to let their confidence get rolling. Um, yeah, L.J. Figueroa, Marvin Clark, um, Mustafa Heron. Can I, I don't know if he's is he shooting it well. He hasn't 
performed great, but he did but he it Auburn shoot. last year. Okay, so, okay, yeah. so body at work. All yeah. right. Yeah, so they've got yeah Mustafa Heron, uh, Justin Simon's really tough. I mean, defensively he's a nightmare, and his ability to get to the rim is really good. So like, they've got the ability to space it and fire away from three and be pretty f- proficient from that area of the floor too. So they're actually shooting really well from three. I yes, think. they are. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and they can shoot them for. They can extend the three point line too. It's not mm-hmm. like they don't have to toe the line to do it. Right. So you can think you'll be in the right spot, and you're not. They do that a lot. They yeah. got Villanova with that for most of the game, pretty much. Which just Villanova thought they were in the right spot, and they weren't. Um, I thought they were close enough, and they weren't. So, yeah, that'll be the 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 space that Creighton gives St. John's in the perimeter will be important. What's the St. John's likes to fire away from? Deep. What's the St. John's Creighton matchup like? The Jays haven't lost to St. John's since when? It's been a while, hasn't it? Good question. Um, Did they lose? They didn't lose. I don't think I've ever seen a Creighton team lose to St. John's, so I think they've won at least four in a row since I've been on the beat. And then, um, did they lose to Maurice's team? What did the 2015 16 team do? I'm going to guess they did. Uh, Maurice's beat, they beat them in at St. John's to open Biggie's play in 2015 2016. Mm. And they beat them there at Patton's year, and they won last year. Um, I, I don't. I don't know if Mullins, Mullen. I don't know if Mullen has beaten them. He's been trying to three. He, this is his fourth year, right? Yeah, I don't know if he has. It looks like they beat St. John's uh, twice in in twenty seven, the sixteen seventeen season. Yeah. So that was we knew that. Um, beat him twice <clears throat> in the sixteen seventeen. Yeah, sixteen seventeen season. So 15, 16, or no, this is, I'm sorry, this is the 14, 15 season. I think that's, yeah. so I think they've won. So 14, 15 was the year that Creighton was uh, 4 and 15, right? Um, 4 and 14, four and 14 in, the, in the, league. the league. So they lost to them. They won at home and lost on the road. I think that was Lavin's last year, too, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. So I don't think Mullen's beaten Creighton. Though. It's 0 for 6 against Creighton. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, so there's your, yeah. And I know the games in Omaha, other than one, I don't believe have been close. Last year was close. Last year was the close one. Yep. The other two, I think, were pretty they, decisive. They were, they were handled. Well, one was handled. like 50 when <laughs> Mullen got tossed. Mm-hmm. That was his first one. Yeah. So He coached, that, he coached that game in loafers, by the way. Right. Oh, did yeah. he? Yeah. Like, in, like, boat shoes, you know? Yeah. Should have been both shoes and got tossed. Be, I, I think he got tossed in the second half. That'd be comfortable. I think he made it to the second half. So Crane's won six in a row against St. John's. Yeah. Um, last year, I feel like he, those two games could have gone either way. But no, no doubt. But the Jays made the plays at the end to win. I actually thought the second one was more convincing than the, the one at St. John's was convincing. Yes, I agree. St. John's made a crazy rally to make it interesting. Right in the yeah, Crane was in control for most of it, yeah. especially in the second half, and then. That was the first game after Marcus Foster read that scouting report that he doesn't play above the rim and kind of went nuts. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was a pretty good – but the one in Omaha was in doubt. St. John's could have won it. Probably like, should have won it, actually. Yeah. I think Creighton had like a – Martin went – Martin had Martin a really went off, yeah. great stretch down the, right. down the stretch to seal it. I think that Creighton went on like – They won by 10, didn't they? Didn't they had a uh, by 10. I don't know if it was by 10, but Creighton went on a – maybe it might have been like an 18-2 to two run or something at, yeah. at one point in that game. Yeah, that's a good memory. And um, there was a 60 that was the or goal. 78 to 71 at home. Okay. 
St. John's um, had a 79.9 winning win per, win probability. Win probability? Really? Wow. And they're up 10 to they're up 10 with Did Marquis have a double double that game? Did he finish with the double double? 14 and Nine? 11. Okay, yeah, he did. I think that was right before he got hurt, wasn't it? Was that his last game before he got hurt? It wasn't his last. I think Xavier was his last game before he got hurt. Um, yeah, because he played Georgetown. He was in there for Georgetown Butler. Yeah, good call. Xavier, but Seton Hall is the one he got hurt in. So that that was like, that was pretty early in there. Yeah. But. All right, so yeah, no prediction. I don't have a prediction for that. Do you have a prediction for that? We're not going to make a prediction, are we? No, I mean, I don't. I'd like to know a little bit more about ponds. We probably won't. Yeah, that's true. That's that, a big factor. that is obviously huge. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, so, okay. Well, that's what we think of the matchup. Sorry, the, the um, win preliminary. I, the win, I can't do math. 70, 72.9. Is that what I said the win probability was for St. John's last year? That's yeah. what it was. Yeah. 72.9. Okay. At one point in the game. It's pretty high. Fairly high. Reasonably high. So they probably should have won that here. But yeah. It felt, like, it felt like they should have. I remember watching right. it, and it felt like they were they played better that yeah. But they've lost six in a row to Creighton, and now Creighton goes to St. John's. It should be pretty desperate for a win. But also St. John's is desperate. They've lost two in a row. Exactly. And they just <laughs> lost to DePaul. So yeah. there's no more desperation than when that happens to anybody. Um, okay, so that'll do it for today's show. We did the questions, did St. John's. It's 101 minutes of, wow. of basketball. Conversations on the Blue JB. That's right. Sometimes it just flows. <laughs> maybe we should break it up in half. Um, maybe maybe we, we put like half of it behind a paywall and half of it like yeah. here's a little teaser. We should have had a halftime break. Yeah, we should have. Get like some hand warmers and hot cocoa. I need some hand warmers, bad man. God, it is so soft. we need God, you are soft. to turn the heat up in here. I got my sleeves rolled up. You're in a jacket. You have gloves on. You want the beanie? I know you do. <laughs> Even though you don't have it on, you're trying to be tough there. I'm eyeballing my I, scarf over there. I, yeah. I'm like, and my sleeves are that? my sleeves are rolled up. Um, yeah, you're soft. All right. Well, thanks for thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks for the questions and the comments. We always appreciate it. Um, the interaction is fun. Um, yeah, I go to Omaha.com for John's work. Uh, buy a newspaper. Did you figure out what the new subscription fee is yet? Come on, man. One job. That was my one job. We think it's still six ninety nine a month. So it's the price That's, of that would be the sports. What can you deal. get? What can you get for seven dollars a month? That's like worth trading in that for a subscription. One to, Jimmy John sandwich. You can get a Jimmy John sandwich for seven bucks. Yeah, I always felt like they were like more expensive than that. I think. Well, maybe if you buy chips and a drink. Okay. So one less Jimmy John sandwich is what you're telling everybody to sacrifice. Uh, that, that's that's would not you, that much. Would you sacrifice a Jimmy John sandwich for a subscription to Omaha.com? I would. Okay. That's all about, that's the most important thing. Right. Because if you if wouldn't I, do I'm it. I'm not going to do it. How exactly. can I ask you to do it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. That's all. Huge. you got, You got to make the sacrifices right. you're asking everybody to make. Right. Um, so that's what you got to do to read his stuff. Um, well, how much is it behind? Do you have anything a, coming up behind the paywall? Half, half of it is. You just talked to Marcus Sigurowski's parents, right? You got a good feature coming? Eventually, yeah. Am I just, am I putting too much pressure on you right there by saying that? <laughs> He's like, no, I don't, Matt. Shut up. Uh, we'll see how the how the season flows. Oh, okay. But, All right. Yeah. Sorry. Forget that. I lied. No, it's coming. It'll it's coming. I'll write about Marcus soon. Okay. Well, John's a good writer, and he's going to write about Creighton stuff, so read it anyway. Um, and then whiteandbluereview.com for 
um, podcasts. I think we, God, we probably have another one on Monday, don't we? Tomorrow's Monday. See, this is what I, I don't like doing like post game podcasts and then like I have to go and say all the same stuff over again on the podcast. You got to find different takes now. That's going to be very challenging. No, gosh, because like it's all the same. Like, I, and it's it's like, what would you think of this? And then I just did that for an hour and a half. So it's, <laughs> yeah. So okay. So we got a new podcast coming on Monday probably. But Matt and um, Matt's going gonna... to Script Town. So like, if you want to, uh, you know, ask questions live or throw things at me, it's fine. You're gonna have a good night's sleep, and then tomorrow you yeah. come, you got to come up with new ideas for this yeah. pod tomorrow. Hopefully, that's a hell of a practice at two o'clock, so we have some new information to give out. Um, and then we also do have a new watch party actually scheduled. Let me remind people of that. Um, when's when do they play Georgetown? Do you know? Twenty first. Yeah, it's Martin Luther King Jr. Day. Oh, that's the Martin Luther King Day. Yeah. Okay. Seven thirty maybe is tip or seven o'clock tip. All right. So when the Jays are tipping in D.C., we'll, we'll be having another watch party at. Uh, Script Town Brewing that night for the game, um, and just to give you a little incentive, Creighton is one and zero when we have a watch party in Biggie's place. That's so their only win. So, if you want them to win, you got to come to the watch party. That's basically how it works now. Those are the rules. Um, that's all we got on tap for that. Other than that, you know where to get your coverage: Omaha.com, WhiteBlueReview.com. Thank you for tuning in. We'll talk to you soon.